turn in our Bibles to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 12 this evening. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your consistent character, your name. Your name is our refuge, our strong tower. Thank you that you don't change, that we can trust you. And we pray that we could walk in faith and walk in dependence. So would you cause your word to be alive in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We get many warning signs of danger, uh, don't we? Uh, when we go for a walk in, in our neighborhood, there's a, a couple electrical boxes that are buried in the ground, and they've got signs that say, hey, don't mess with me. Don't, don't touch me. And for kids, that's pretty much a, a magnet for, I wonder what would happen if I touched this, right? But there's that, that danger to, to stay away from those electrical uh, boxes. With your complete cleaning supplies, they have warnings, don't they? You know, don't swallow this. Don't digest this. This danger. Well, what we're going to see tonight in this study is that there is danger in unbelief. This generation that's been delivered from Egypt, that's now wandering in the wilderness, gets to the point where God's ready to take them into the promised land. But unfortunately, they don't trust that God is bigger than the walled cities, that God is bigger than uh, the giants. And many times, we can relate to this generation in the wilderness because we believe that Jesus is our Savior, that he's died for our sins and promised us eternal life. We've been delivered from Egypt, if you would, but then we struggle to trust that God is faithful in the day-to-day -day struggles. And because of that, we too oftentimes wander in the wilderness. So chapter 12 begins with Miriam and Aaron, the siblings of Moses, questioning uh, Moses, having unbelief by the leader that God has put in place. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Moses's wife passes away, and he chooses to marry an Ethiopian. We know that there were foreigners that came out of Egypt with the children of Israel that wanted to be with the people of God, venture to the promised land, and Moses decides to marry an Ethiopian. And this was enough to cause Aaron and Miriam to question Moses and to, to question, is God only speaking to Moses? Now, we don't know for sure what's in their hearts, but it seems to be that they're a little envious of the way that God is speaking to Moses. There's a little bit of, uh, what about me? In this, And during this time and during this period, God is revealing himself to Moses, and Moses is sharing with the people. Moses is the one that God had put in place at, at this time, and the Lord hears this. The Lord hears this cry of division from Miriam and Aaron. We get a commentary from God on Moses. Now, the man Moses was very humble or meek. 
more than all who are on the face of the earth. Meekness is power under control. It's, it's gentleness. Moses had a humility of understanding who God was, but also understanding his own sinfulness. And it says there wasn't anyone like him on the face of the earth in regards to his humility and his meekness. What's interesting is Moses actually failed in his greatest place of strength. Meekness is power under control. Moses isn't able to go into the promised land because he gets angry at the people of God and he hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock the second time. He misrepresents God to the people. God wasn't angry, but, but Moses was angry. It, as we study the life of Moses, there's so many times where he responds in gentleness and self-control. We'll see that again tonight. But there's that moment where he snaps and he, he loses his temper and he fails in meekness, even though meekness is his greatest strength. And that's often the case. Often the times we will even fail in one of our greatest areas of strength. That's why we need the Lord. That's why uh, we need Christ. In verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Time to go to the principal's office. God's listening and God speaks and says, all right, you three, meet me at the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So God comes to the defense of Moses, which is encouraging. Because if God's called you to lead, and we all are leaders in different capacities and different places, is do that unto the Lord, and the Lord is your defense. If Moses is really appointed by God, then God can defend him, that God can come to his, his defense. And if God has given you a sphere of leadership, then let the Lord defend you. And the Lord was faithful to do that for Moses. And God says, look, most prophets maybe get a revelation from God through a vision or a dream, but I speak to Moses plainly. I, I share with him a face-to-face. -face. He, he's seen the, the form of God. And so with that, Moses, or excuse me, Miriam and Aaron shouldn't have been so quick to speak against Moses. Sometimes your criticism will come from the closest sources. This had to have been hard for Moses because it's not like well, it's one of the leaders of, of one of the tribes or it's one of the Levites. It's kind of a, a distant complaint, but this is his brother. This is his sister. This is the one that has been with him from the very beginning. Aaron came to, to help speak to, to Pharaoh, but now they're the ones that are questioning his, his leadership. Who was it that had the hardest time receiving the ministry of Christ? Those from Nazareth, those from his own town even his half-brothers and sisters. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. This, this made God angry, 
God's done with the meeting. He departs from the meeting. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. This happened suddenly, the Bible says. It seems that Miriam is the source of this questioning, the source of this division about Moses' leadership. And so she immediately is turned into a leper. Imagine what that's like for her to see her skin be normal and then all of a sudden filled with leprosy. And Aaron looks over, he's going, what in the world is, is going on? Leprosy is a disease that causes decay, causes destruction. It would also bring isolation. You couldn't live amongst the people of God as a leper. It was a, a death sentence of, of isolation. And when we get into this place where we question leaders that God has put into our lives, now hear, this, hear me out on this. Leaders are to be held accountable. Leaders are to be held to biblical standards. Leaders are to be held to holding to uh, sound, sound doctrine. But when we get to the place where maybe we're at with Miriam, in Aaron, it's ultimately going to bring decay in, in our lives. And so God gives us a picture of that with Miriam. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Aaron saying, Moses, please help. So Moses cried out, to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. The gracious spirit of Moses. Moses is not saying, oh, she deserved it, or I told you so, right? He wants to see his sister healed. He wants to see her uh, restored. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So a father, in a, a way of shaming his kids, if a kid had done something wrong, could, could spit in their face, and then they would be isolated for seven days. So how much more should Miriam face some kind of consequence? That's what God is, is declaring. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again, and afterward the people moved from Hazroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So she's healed. God graciously allows for her to be healed. She does spend seven days outside of the camp, and all of the children of Israel wait. <laughs> and when there's this, this questioning of leadership and division from a wrong spirit, it affects the whole people of God. It affects the whole camp. Though the whole camp is stuck here for, for seven days as they wait for Miriam's time out to end, <laughs> for her to be able to be welcomed back to, to the people of God. Chapter 13, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Please take note that God calls for the spies to go in and check out uh, the promised land. This is when things actually go really bad. When these spies come back and give an evil report of unbelief. Almost to the point where you're like, why did they ever send in spies for the first place? But God instructed it. 
God commanded it because it's going to reveal the hearts of the children of Israel. It's going to reveal the unbelief that's in these leaders and also amongst the congregation, amongst the, the people of God. So it was one leader from each tribe. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. The names are listed of the leaders that are chosen, the heads of the tribes to go in and look out the land. We, we take notice of Caleb. Caleb is, is listed for us from the tribe of Judah, the son, Caleb, the son of Jephthah. So highlight Caleb, and then also we see that Joshua is sent with them in verse 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hosha, the son of Nun, Joshua. So, so Joshua is sent, and Joshua and Caleb stand out because as they go in and survey the land, they come back with a report of faith. Here's their instructions when they spy out the land. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. This is the promised land that God said to Abraham that he would give to his descendants. Said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are feasts there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So, so check it out, whether they're strong, whether they're weak, whether cities are fortified or not, bring back some of the fruits of the land. The encouragement that Moses gives is be of good courage. As you go into spy out the land, be of good courage. And there are those times where the Lord is stirring us to take a step of faith and we need to survey the land. We need to go in and count the cost. We need to knock on some doors. We need to see what, what God would do. And this is an important process of walking by faith. In verse 21, so they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and they came to Hebron, Ahimim, Shishma, and Tamai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Descendants of Anak being giants. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes that carried it between two of them on a pole. So the one cluster of grapes was so big that they had to carry it on a pole. I think Welch would be interested in those grapes, right? There's some, some impressive grapes. This is an abundant land that God has promised to them. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. The only piece of real estate that I know of in the world that God assigns to a particular group of people is Israel. This may be a newsflash to you, but God doesn't 
necessarily say in his word that where we're living should belong to us, right? The, the rest of the world, God's all ultimately in control, but there isn't a place in his word where he's like, the, the Americans are going to have this, this plot of land. But God does say that Canaan, Israel, was to be to the descendants of Abraham. Now, is there any more contested piece of real estate in the world? Everybody seems to accept that Texas can have Texas. It's like, okay, you're the only ones foolish enough to want it, so we'll let you have it, right? When I, when I meet Texans, they're always like, oh yeah, Colorado, that's our state park too. And I kind of want to say, because there's no place to visit in Texas, right? You know, it's like, I love picking on Texans. It, if you're from Texas, my email is Cartier at RockyMountainCalvary.org. I'm not planning on moving to Texas anytime soon. I'm going to stay in, in Colorado. But nobody contests the fact that Texans can have Texas. But when it comes to Israel, it's like, oh, I don't know if the Israelites can, can have Israel, even though that God has told them. God picked a really strategic point of land. It, when you look at it on a map... We've got the Mediterranean Sea, but they also have access to the Red Sea, which geographically gives them a huge advantage. It's the gateway between Europe, Asia, and Africa, and is extremely fertile. There's an amazing amount of farming that continues to happen in Israel. Figs is one of them to, to this day. So when God chose this piece of land, he chose a good piece of land to give to the children of Israel. In verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him saying, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, oh, the nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They begin to focus on and see things through a natural lens instead of through the eyes of faith. God tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. But how easy it is to focus on what we can see instead of focusing on the character and nature of God, which we can't see. We saw these giants. We saw these fortified cities. In verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Question for you this evening. Who are the ites in your life? Who are the ites in your life? Is it the out-of-sights? But there's some challenge in our lives that we go, but what about the Canaanites? What about the Amalekites? God has called me to this, but there's this difficulty, this giant that, that I'm facing. Is it something in a relationship where you're like, man, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but it seems to be a dead end in this relationship. And it's a very close relationship. It's difficulty in your marriage. It's difficulty with one of your kids. Is it with someone inside of the body of Christ? Where there's a, a challenging, difficult relationship and, 
It's an it in your life. It's a giant in, in your life and you feel, feel stuck, but yet you know that God has called you to be with those particular believers. Is it finances? And the finances are overwhelming and you're, you're wondering how you're going to make it through financially and you're struggling to, to find a job. Is it something with your health? Something's gone wrong with, with your health and you're wrestling through those, those difficulties and prognosis and my goodness, dealing with health insurance, that's sure fun, isn't it? Is it that uncertainty in our culture and the darkness that we see spiritually and is starting to produce fear? What's the ite in our lives? And to see the promises of God in the midst of those giants, in the midst of those difficulties. And I love Caleb. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. He's the voice of faith. He's the voice that I wish the children of Israel would have listened to. God is bigger than these challenges. God is faithful to his word. God is the one who has promised us this land. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Does God ever call us to things that are beyond us? All the time, right? His calling is beyond us. It forces us to rely upon his strength instead of of our own. Is there a sin struggle that we can't overcome in and of ourselves? That's the place that God would want us to be. Is there a difficulty where we can't see the way forward and so we're having to rely upon Jesus who is the way? Going, Jesus, you have to be my way. I'm holding on on to you. But they're only looking at their own abilities and their own resources instead of looking at who God is. A study came out two weeks ago that said there's just as many people in America that don't go to church as those that do. And as a pastor, first reading that, that can be very discouraging that's not the way it has been in the United States of America. But then it hit me today, you know, that's actually an opportunity. That's an opportunity for us as the body of Christ to go out with the love of Jesus Christ, introduce people to Jesus, and invite people to church. This is a great time to be inviting people to church. I think people are hurting, people are isolated, they're, they're looking for answers. But it's easy to see the darkness in our culture through our own resources. Well, what are we going to be able to do about it? I, I can't do anything about it, but God can. And looking at the promises of God and, and looking at his strength, his power, his ability. In verse 32, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Underline that. Their report of unbelief is a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anakim came from the giants and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight so we were in their sight. Clearly walking by sight instead of by faith. Contrast this response to David's response. David is a grasshopper compared to Goliath. But he had a view of God. And he's like, God can take down Goliath. 
God is, is completely capable to humble Goliath who's defying the, the living God. Because if we simply go, well, here's my ability, here's my strengths, here's, here's my weaknesses, and, and here's this calling that God has placed, then we go, man, there's no way. There's no way I can a- attempt that. But then we go, you know, this is who God is. And this is God's promises. So I'm trusting in God's character, in his nature, and I'm going to walk by faith instead of walking in that place of, of unbelief. In verse 14 or chapter 14, excuse me. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Unnecessary grief. There's a lot of reasons to cry. And the Bible tells us to mourn, and God comforts those who mourn. This is not one of them. There could have been the opposite cry. This could have been the cry of victory in faith, even though they're freaked out say, God's able to do this. I wonder when there's unnecessary grief in our lives due to unbelief. And unbelief can really swallow us up. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. This is classic, right? They're choosing to walk in unbelief, but it's Moses and Aaron's fault. It's easy to start uh, complaining about the people that God has placed in our lives and instead of taking ownership for our own unbelief. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in the wilderness. So now it's better to be dead. It's better to be dead than to be right here, right now. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? There's another question that they could be asking, and it's a lot harder one, is what did we do to contribute to this? It's God's fault. It's Moses' fault. It's Aaron's fault. We'd be better dead. We'd be better going back to Egypt. But the truth is, they could be walking in obedience to the instructions of God and stepping into the promised land. God's ready to give them the promised land and it's really their own unbelief and not believing and trusting the promises of God. But, But it's harder to look introspectively. It's easier to put the blame in other places. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. This sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? Well, let's just get rid of Moses, get a new leader. How, how does this look going back to, to Pharaoh? Uh, Pharaoh, we got this all wrong. We want to be your slaves again. Why do we want to go back to bondage? Why do we want to go back to the things that God has called us out of? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. What an amazing response. Not getting angry, but falling on their face before God. It shows the humility of Moses. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephthunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all of the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land was possessed, the land was passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, 
then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. God has good things for us. He wants to to give us this land. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. We're going to eat them up like lunch. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Don't disobey God's command. Don't don't disobey what God has called us into. Their protections departed from them. God's with us. We, we don't have to be in a place of fear. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Isn't that amazing? They want to silence the voice of faith to the point where they want to kill Joshua and Caleb. Now, Joshua is Moses' assistant. Caleb is the leader of his tribe. They're known leaders in their community, but yet they're going against the flow of unbelief. And because of that, they're picking up stones and they want to stone them. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. God again comes in the midst of the situation. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. God knows what the core issue is. They don't believe me. Even though I've shown all of these amazing signs, and you think about all of the things that this generation has seen, and it didn't result in faith. They saw the plagues in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea be divided, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, God giving them manna from heaven. If that weren't enough, he gives them quail to eat. Their clothes don't wear out. Their shoes don't wear out. This is amazing. You're walking in the wilderness for 40 years in the same pair of shoes, right? If Amazon could get a hold of those shoes... They would really sell. But now it comes to some giants in Jericho and a fortified city. And they're like, I don't don't know. I don't know that God's bigger than the giants. I don't know that God's bigger than, than Jericho. But we've been given something greater than the Red Sea parting, greater than manna from heaven, greater than a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We've been given the prophecy of the life of Jesus, it being fulfilled, Jesus coming to this earth, dying for our sins, and rising again, ascended to the Father. We also have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but we, just like this generation, can wrestle with unbelief. If if we're honest, if I'm honest, there are certain giants in our lives We may not say it out loud, but what our hearts are wrestling with is, I don't know if God's got this one. I don't know if he's going to be faithful in this situation. I don't really know if Romans 8.28 applies to this. God says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, but I don't know that my difficulty really fits inside of of that, that truth. 
And we wrestle just, just like they, they wrestle. And I wonder how many times the Lord's like, hey, Eric, when are you going to believe me? When are you going to trust me with, with all of, of your heart? Moses gets this offer where you have the Mosesites instead of the Israelites. And he's like, hmm, what would that be like? But he quickly intercedes on behalf of the Israelites. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, the Lord, are among these people, that you, the Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord has not, the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Moses intercedes on behalf of the Israelites and God heeds the prayer of Moses. There is this mystery of how these two things work together, where God is sovereign, and he does what he wants and what he pleases. That's clear throughout scripture. But also, God calls us to pray. Would you agree that God calls us to pray? And he calls us to, to intercede on behalf of, of others. And God listens to the prayers of his people. He still does what he desires and what he wants, and he's the one in charge. We don't control God with our prayers. But the Bible does tell us that we are to be praying for others. So clearly the children of Israel are not in the right place with God. And Moses responds by saying, I'm going to pray for them. So do you know someone who's lost that has retracted Christ? Man, pray for them. Intercede on their behalf. Do you, do you know a believer that has drifted away from the Lord and fallen away from the Lord? Intercede. Pray. Pray on their behalf. Because who knows? God may, may choose to then intervene and use those prayers. He's the one that prompts those prayers in our hearts and in our lives. Verse 21, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. You guys doing okay? I know this is three chapters. But they're pretty interesting chapters. God here is declaring, look, I'm not going to kill you in the wilderness, but you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. You're not going to be killed right in this moment in judgment, but you will not enter into the, to the promised land. Verse 24, 
But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Caleb, and we'll see in just a moment, Joshua are going to get to go into the promised land. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard their complaints, which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken to me in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcass of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. So everybody 20 years old and above is going to die in the wilderness. Except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness... God's grace, allowing their children to come into the land, but they're going to die in the wilderness. One of the most important things to God is faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to to please God. What will cause us to wander in life more than anything else is unbelief. And unbelief leads to lots of other types of sin in our lives. We are warned about this generation in the book of Hebrews that they didn't enter into the rest that God had provided because of unbelief. James tells us if we're in trial to ask God for wisdom, trust the wisdom that he gives, and if we don't, then we're like a double-minded person that's blown in the wind. And we've all been there. Okay, this is what God's word says. This is the wisdom that God has has given to me, but I'm not trusting him. I'm not trusting his his promises. So my soul is floundering. My, My soul is blowing in the wind. I'm going around in circles in in the wilderness. So how do we trust God if we're in that place of doubt and in that place of of unbelief? A few things come to mind. And the first is, be honest with God. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I don't want to stay in this place of of unbelief and have an honest conversation with him. The second is, spend time meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when we think about God's goodness displayed in him giving us his son, Lord, I don't understand why you have allowed this in my life but I do understand that you're good because you gave your son to die for me on the cross, so I'm choosing to trust you. And trust doesn't have to be something that's based on our emotions, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like trusting, and other times my emotions don't feel like trusting. I can't let my emotions make the final verdict. Look at who God is displayed upon the cross and choose to trust. And lastly, there's something that we can do practically And the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So as we spend time in the word of God, our faith is gonna be built up because we get a greater understanding of who the Lord is. So if you're like me and you're like, man, I'm in a wilderness season. I feel like I'm wandering. We don't have to stay there. Our circumstances might not change, but our soul doesn't have to be wandering if we choose to trust the Lord. And as we trust the Lord, then we're able to enter into to his rest. There's been times where I'm wrestling with things and I know in my heart I'm not trusting the Lord and there's no peace. God graciously doesn't allow me to have peace. And when I come to the end of myself and put my trust in the Lord, there's rest and peace that comes over my soul. And I go, man, I'm such a knucklehead. Why did it take me so long? Why did it take me so long to to put this in the Lord's hands? But the rest and the peace comes with the trust. Verse 33, And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land. Forty days for each day you bear your guilt. One year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In the wilderness they shall be consumed and they shall die. Now the men who Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, thus those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. So God really does hold these leaders accountable. Joshua and Caleb get commended, but the other leaders... God says, this was a bad report. And you actually led the rest of the children of Israel to a place of, of unbelief. So leadership is important. And, and leading out in a, in a place of, of faith is very important. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephna, remained alive of the men who went out to spy the land. Have you ever considered how hard this would have been for Joshua and Caleb? They buried all of their contemporaries. <laughs> They got to go into the land, but they got really good at funerals. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Now they're ready to take the word of God seriously, and they're like, Okay, we'll, we'll have a second crack at this. Let's go up and take the land. But Moses speaks, Now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord's not among you. For the Amalekites, the Canaanites, are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you've turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down, attacked them, and drove them back as far as Hormah. If God's not with us, there's no opportunity for victory. Now they're in a place where they're going against God's word because God said, look, you're not going to inherit the land. Your kids will, but you won't. So it's still the same issue. They didn't trust the word of God. They didn't believe the word of God. 
And so it ends in defeat. The danger of unbelief that is given to us. So what's the, the answer in our hearts? The answer in our hearts to, to overcome unbelief, it's Jesus. It's focusing on who he is. And as we come and take communion tonight, remember the faithfulness of God. As we celebrate his broken body and his shed blood, we're declaring his faithfulness. We're rejoicing in the salvation that he's given to us, but yet there's a difficulty, a sin, a a struggle in our lives that we're wrestling with believing and trusting in God. So Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. You solved my greatest need. And God, I also believe that you're gonna be faithful in this trial that I'm going through. God, I believe that you're gonna be faithful in the things that you are calling me to do. Has the Lord put a calling in front of you on your life that you go, man, this is bigger than me. And there's giants and there's critics and skeptics and maybe we've been shrinking back from believing that God can bring the victory. Is there a giant that you're facing in your family and we've started to shrink back that God can bring the victory? Church, we want to see the giants fall. We want to be a church like Caleb and Joshua that says, you know what? God's bigger than the giants. Our narrative right now should not be one of, I, I don't know what God's doing. I, these difficulties are, are bigger than the mind of God. It should be, you know, God is moving and God is working and, and God is bringing people to himself. I don't understand that everything that's happening, but I know that God's on the throne. I know that he's on the throne. I know that that he's working. God is moving right now. Amen? The question is, is am I going to be a part of it? God doesn't need me, and he's not dependent upon me, but he wants to use us if we're willing, if we're available, if we're like Caleb and Joshua and say, you know, I believe that God can fall the giants. This is the time to step out in faith, to believe the God's promises for our life personally, but to step out in faith. If we believe that the power of God is the gospel unto salvation, let's step out in faith and share the gospel. If Jesus has commanded us to share the gospel, let's live inside of that command and say, Lord, I want to be faithful to that, and I want to I see you work in, in, in the midst of that. Take steps of faith that line up with the word of God. Believe the word of God and then begin to take action that lines up with what we believe and watch God work and watch God move in in a powerful way. So may the Lord deliver us tonight from unbelief. If you're holding on to unbelief in your heart, tonight choose to let it go. Choose to trust your risen Savior. Wrestle through that at the communion table. And no matter if you have an emotional release or not, say, Lord, I trust you. I know you're good. I know you're trustworthy. And I'm putting this difficulty, I'm putting this trial in your hand. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we do choose to to trust you. To trust you with the giants that we're facing in culture, the giants that we're facing in our lives. We know that you're the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. And that you are calling us to walk by faith and not by sight. So as we come and remember you, Jesus, may you deliver us from unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.